on the Pilot TV podcast this week, we're picking up the phone for Apple's wackadoodle audio-only drama Calls, finally getting to go on holiday as we join Kaylee Cuoco for jet-setting murder mystery The Flight Attendant on Sky, and yes, catching up with the latest developments at AC12 for the hugely anticipated sixth series of Line of Duty on BBC One. I'm James Dyer and welcome to the Pilot TV Podcast, a show you will be pleased to hear will not have a wildly overblown Ted Hastings-themed Line of Duty intro as I used that up during my recent rewatch. So you are mercifully spared a repeat of that. I should also say, for those who, like me, are very spoiler-sensitive when it comes to Line of Duty, that we will, as ever, be respecting a strict no-spoiler policy for this one and we will be avoiding almost any plot discussion at all, partly as we're very responsible like that, but also out of respect for the titanium-clad embargo issued by the BBC that restricts pretty much all discussion of the show to Steve Arnott's beard. But then at least they let us see the show, which is more than can be said about Disney and Falcon and the Winter Soldier, but don't even get us started on that one. Anyway... I should introduce my two co-hosts. If you don't know who they are by now, then there really is no hope for you. But for the uninitiated, I am joined by Pilot TV's very own Dempsey and Makepeace, Boyd Hilton and Terry White. Hello. Do you like my incredibly topical reference there? Yes. <laughs> Good. I'm Good. annoyed that you. I'm annoyed that you wore out the line of duty references um, a couple of weeks ago. You think I, I should have done another one. I think, I think you should have done that. Go on, come on. There's plenty. There's so much there. There's such a. There's such a mine you can mine. mine. What's the phrase? Mine. Yeah. There's such a, mine such a rich theme. That's the phrase. There's rich a rich theme. Well, I brought Ted Hastings to the Empire podcast this week for my fact oh. for the three fat structure was in oh. fact that Ted Hastings was in the Phantom Menace. So uh, I, I feel I'm a bit, you know. I'm a bit. I'm, I'm on line of duty. Which overload. you literally stole from the Graham Norton show. Uh, well, actually, yes, I did literally steal it from the Graham Norton show. <laughs> right. <laughs> to be fair, I hope Chris Hewitt. Uh, I hope Chris is aware of the fact that you literally just stole it from the Graham Norton show. I was very show. honest about it. Oh, I mean, okay. I stole it from Adrian Dunbar himself, who mentioned it on the Graham Norton show. I think that's allowed. Hmm. Um, um, can I just point out that you're you're literally saying I've got nothing for this week's podcast because I gave all my good material to the other podcast? Yeah, I see what, what you're saying. You just said. <laughs> I see what you're saying. See, it's Serious. just by virtue of the fact that it records the day before and I just couldn't sit on this for another day. <laughs> we, we were just bursting to come out. I couldn't, couldn't help myself. I, I mean, even worse, I couldn't help myself from tweeting about it before the Agile Empire no, podcast came out, so yeah. I preempted that as well. Yeah. I'm a terrible showman, I really am. Um, speaking of which, shall we move on to what we have been watching this week? And I really want to know what Terry's been watching this week. I? Why? Is this a trick? <laughs> It's not a trap. I'm just curious as to whether you've watched one of The Leftovers or maybe watched Friday Night Lights or one of the many things we've discussed that you're going to watch. No. But um, I did watch. So obviously um, I talked the other week at length about being completely won over by Unforgotten. So I did what I normally do, which is I went and got obsessed and and (laughs) mental about it. So on Sunday night I put on... The first season at like nine o'clock and ended up sitting up till four <laughs> in the morning. I watched the entire first season in one sitting, as I am, you know, as is very on brand for me. Uh done the second season in the last so in the last week I've done both seasons and we're now halfway through season three. Brilliant. Wow. Okay, that's it. That's a week well spent. Yeah. So I I was disappointed a little bit by season two, I've got to say. I think season one, just the it just the plot actually. Yeah, yeah. Um one was a cracker. 
Three is turning out yeah, to be. Three is, yeah, three is really yeah, good. Three is yeah. the dream, mm, but two, yeah. I was a li- little yeah, bit let I, down I by the story. Yeah, I know what yeah. you mean, yeah. Um, but what a fucking show. And Nick, I mean, I know I always bang on about her, but she is just Nicola Walker. What she does, she has that, you know, like I love detectives with weird physical tics. Do you know what I mean? Like del- there's some off in their delivery. And it's mm. when she does, when she connects, there's that moment where she connects with the victim. And in the first one, it was when she stood in front of the evidence board and she'd just spoken to his mum on the phone. And she and she starts talking about the victim and what has been lost in those who've been left behind. And she has this really weird delivery when she gets emotional. And it's the pacing of her speech goes funny. And she, oh God, I'm obsessed with it. I'm obsessed with this little bit of her performance, this physicality, this weird physicality she has. I'm I'm obsessed with her. I think she's amazing. <laughs> If you haven't watched Unforgotten mm. and you are like me, a massive giant idiot, then please just go and watch the first season. You will be unable to turn it off. Um, uh, and thank you both for for setting me straight on this. Can you have imagined back in 1994 when you were f- when you first encountered Nicola Walker? Lest we forget, playing the guitar at a wedding in Four Weddings and a Funeral. Remember doing that dreadful? <laughs> oh, yeah. That was that was what brought Nicola Walker to the world. Oh my God! Yeah. I always remember her most for, as uh, as Ruth from Spooks. Mm, mm. Mm. Oh yeah. yeah, I mean she's amazing. But yeah, Nicola Walker's amazing because she you know nothing about her really. She's not kind of a celeb. She's an actor, mm. and she does it. Her roles aren't necessarily showy. They're just so. Mm. I mean, the one where she was the um, detective ghost. You remember? Yeah, yeah. yeah. She was walking around with a big hole in the back of her head for the entire thing. <laughs> yeah. What was that? What it was, was that with um, was it called Bridge? I think. Am I imagining it? It was um, uh, with Baptiste. Like it was one word, yeah. Um, it was with Bapti- Mr. Baptiste. Yeah. I'm going to have to look it up now. Was it chalk? No. No, it wasn't chalk. Was it cows? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> was it torn? No. <laughs> I've torn, done a lot of no. one-word shows. No. <laughs> I've it run was out of one-word shows. It was like a place or a thing, and I, like Boyd said the bridge, it was like... It wasn't river, that was river. the... Uh, river. 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 She was bridge. a bridge. in river. <laughs> yeah, okay. river. Oh yeah, that okay. was, um, she, well, she was Baptiste. Stellan 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 yeah. 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 I she didn't was know Baptiste's, that. Um, rivers partner. on one of my rivers on my list of things to watch at the moment. It's one of the things that got recommended to me by by listeners. It's yeah, not it was good. Baptiste, is it? No, it's it's, it's Stellan Skarsgård. Do <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's hard to say. They're a bit similar. They're quite yeah. similar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was Abby Morgan. Abby Morgan wrote that. Yeah, yeah. You know who's? Yeah, it was it was it was bold. It was really bold and daring. But um, the reason, and the reason I thought she was, it was called Bridge because I saw her. How about this? I saw her on Broadway in a view from the bridge. Wow! The production of um, the After Miller play, and this was the cast: Nicola Walker, Phoebe Fox, Mark Strong, and Russell Tovey. Wow! What a fucking lineup that was, and it was an incredible That's production. Amazing. And obviously, I went back afterwards, and she, she's an incredibly uh, lovely person as well. Just to add, Boyd, what have you been watching? I've been watching um, a, a couple of things. Um, I finished Your Honor. Which um, do you watch? Do you watch all of your honour? No, I watched about five, okay. and then I just couldn't face anymore. So, I think I, I really liked it in the end, and I think even though so uh, even though it was way too long, ten episodes, uh, as we discussed when we reviewed it, quite slow at various moments. Clearly, could have been clearly the story could have been wrapped up in probably like eight minimum, maybe even six. But in the end, it kind of didn't matter because I think it established such a good um, atmosphere, such an interesting kind of intense atmosphere. Um, particularly when it gets into the courtroom, in, it becomes kind of more of a courtroom drama in, 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 after about 
six, seven episodes. And I, so I really, really liked it in the end. Um, and just watching those great actors kind of bouncing off each other, um, I thought was really, really good. So yeah, I finished her on, and it has a kind of a satisfying yet slightly infuriating ending. Not in, not in terms of it, not, it resolves things, everything's resolved, but it's really yeah. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I won't spoil it, but it's so got think a I should, powerful I should ending. Give it another go and watch the rest. I think so. Yeah, there's it's loads of great stuff in it. Loads of great. It's stuff It's quite in it. dour though, isn't it? it? Do you know what it is dour, but in such a, but it's still entertaining. It's kind of got it's it's really gritty and dour. Yeah. But because of certain elements, like I would say, Michael Stuhlbarg goes massively over the top. He starts <laughs> off over the top, and then he goes more and more over the top as time goes on. So it's got elements like that in it, kind of which kind of like. So even though it is dour enough, actually the storyline, and because it gets quite complicated as as it goes on as well, bringing all kinds of different strands, mm. it's it's really. I found it really, really, really enjoyable, and entertaining. So I ended up staying up till about two, three a.m. finishing it. Wow! The other night, yeah, I was really gripped. And servant. I've caught up on season two. Remember Servant? Which, yes, which you all poo-pooed. Well, we had the first seven episodes, I believe, and, and Terry reviewed it for Empire and pointed out quite rightly that it went a bit, it went a bit goofy, didn't it? <laughs> it's kind of like became almost more of a comedy. And I, so I've now finished it. So I think in the real world, it's up to the penultimate episode nine um, right now, as we speak. So nine came out on Friday on Apple TV. I've watched the final. It's on Apple TV previews or whatever we call it that that and it is i i again i've come gone back to it and i really enjoyed it it, it is it is goofy it's preposterous it is almost more comical than it is horror or whatever it was but if you kind of accept that it's gone down that route it is fun it's camp ridiculous fun the stuff that happens in the in there's a big um christmas eve um party lunch that happens in the penultimate episode that is like a that is brilliantly funny and and over the top and insane. And it just, when it reaches that pitch of over the topness, I think it's at its best. So even though it is being quite funny, and there's a moment in the final episode that marries the, the fun, the, the comedy, if you like, with the horror. And I thought it did that brilliantly. Absolutely. And it was like, that's what they're trying to get at. That they're trying to, they're kind of, it's, it's really funny, this, this stuff that happens. All I'll say is Betamax video when people end up watching it. Um, <laughs> and then when you watch it, you're like, oh, right, that is the tone, that kind of, that tone is mastered, I think, in that moment in the final episode. So, yeah, I've got, so I really enjoyed it in the end. So, how, quite how, quite how Mem Night Shyamalan is going to make four more series, which is his plan, is beyond me, though. I mean, honestly, what the fuck is he going to do? But, you know, I still really love it. I absolutely love it. Okay. Hmm. I will maybe revisit that again. I don't know. We'll see. I, 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 I mean, they're short it. episodes. They are short episodes. Yeah, they're so. half-hour episodes. They are, and they're beautifully filmed. Like, they're so, they're still like, they're not, again, as Terry pointed out in the review, not as much as the first series, because, yeah. but there were still moments of great beauty in it, in the way the, the house is filmed. I mean, it's all set in mm. that house. Still, but there's still moments of where it, 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 is, it does look incredible and it is very um, cinematic. Does it top the cheeses slice pun? Um, no. Okay. No. It peaked early. Yeah. I, I see. I've, I've taken on Terry's burden of, of TV shows this week because, Christ, so I started off finishing my run of the newsroom, which I'm now through. I have completed the newsroom, all three seasons of that. Has to be said, while I enjoy the newsroom immensely, it goes steadily downhill as it goes. And obviously, since you hated it from the beginning, Terry, um, I think you'd have had a difficulty with it. So as I mentioned, the, the second season, I don't think is as strong. The third season, which is only six episodes, is the weakest by some margin, I think. Uh, that is not good at all. It has some... Terrible episodes. Um, 
And the final episode is all over the shop. The final episode is a flashback episode. It's lots and lots of flashbacks in it. But they're not like, you know, like when the West Wing, the beginning of season two of the West Wing, they have those flashbacks. You work out, you find out where all the characters came from and it really sheds light on it. The finale of the newsroom has flashbacks to things you know happened because you know about them anecdotally. And seeing them play out really just brings you nothing. And then there's a musical number in there as well. Anyway, um, suffice it to say, it doesn't go out on a high. But I, I enjoyed my, my rewatch. But then I went straight from that into watching the first three episodes of Friday Night Lights because foolishly, I thought Terry might have watched it for this week. That was naive, <laughs> I know. Uh, so I thought, oh, yeah, I'll be able to watch that. So I, I've, I've jumped into Friday Night Lights. Now, obviously, realising that Terry is clearly not going to be watching that for the foreseeable work future, I'll probably put the brakes on on that and see about coming back to it later on. What else did I watch? I watched uh, episode 18 of The Walking Dead, which was the next one in the series, which was a nice Daryl and Carol episode. Lots of nice Daryl uh, mm. character development. It's like I said when we reviewed it, I'm quite enjoying this new sort of minimalist social distancing walking dead where they take these sort of slower more introspective character-led episodes i thought it was quite fun oh, that was a it was a good episode and finally last night i was sitting sitting last night thinking what should i watch what should i watch i need to watch something i, I still had a show to review for this episode but couldn't face it and i i did it i'm sorry i know i shouldn't have done but i have started the game of thrones rewatch and i can't apologize enough but i have watched the first game of thrones and i feel this is oh the very beginning God. of a slippery slope oh my and I'm God. almost certainly now going to power through the entire series. How so, many Game of Thrones rewatches have you had already? Uh, this would be the third. Oh my God, that's a sickness. <laughs> that's not. That's there's something wrong with that. That's not right. Oh, I'm loving it. I'm loving oh it. But this would be the God. first time I've I'll been a, been able to watch it through from episode one to the end of season eight because my previous rewatch was in the run up to season eight. So uh, yeah, this will be this will be a complete end to end watch through. Looking okay. forward to it. Oh, James. Yes, yes, indeed. James. Oh, look, Terry's listening after having written how many emails over the past few minutes? <laughs> I, I am not writing lies, emails. Lies, 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 not. lies, lies, lies. I am not. I can tell because you have an email face. You have a very specific face you pull when you're doing emails. No, I think Go that on. was mesmerised by your Game yeah, of Thrones you know, your, chat. By your compelling conversation, James. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, speaking of compelling conversation, let us bring up some listener questions. So I did a panic shout out for some of these this morning because I hadn't prepared any. Uh, and so we had a few come in. There is a main one, but we had a couple of others that came in early. Dave Evers wanted to know, how do you decide what to feature each week when there is so much content between the broadcasters and streamers? Uh, we have a WhatsApp group specifically for this, in fact. And there really isn't um, actually, weirdly, that much some yeah. weeks. Yeah. Uh, some true. weeks we are scraping the barrel but um, well, if you think about it it's like we want three brand new shows mm. or yeah. at least returning shows each week so that is actually asking quite a lot so it's not normally yeah we rarely it's happened but it's rare that we've had to drop something for the sake of you know being able to fit it in the show um uh, Matilda Batilda asks every time I listen to the podcast I wonder how do you have time to watch so much TV every week do you forego sleep do you have a wall of TVs so you can watch several shows at once now Boyd watches several shows at once but other than that <laughs> sometimes sometimes I wouldn't watch I wouldn't watch two like scripted shows at the same time but I might watch like I might watch a football match on my TV in the, and, and watch like a drama on my laptop. I mean, that joking? might happen. No, no. I mean, not all the time. But I can still, like, I would, if it was an Arsenal match, I'd fully focus on the Arsenal match. But there, there are football matches at the moment on pretty much every day in lockdown. And so it's just constantly on. Football's just constantly on as a background to my life. And then 
Yeah, I will watch a new. I might watch a new show, a scripted show on the laptop, and, and and you know just have the football on as a background thing. So that does happen. I mean, Sorry. it is um, it is it is challenging. I have to say, like um, especially if you want to watch more than one episode, or there's feature length stuff, tends to be some late nights and and early mornings because. Obviously, Boyd watches a fuck ton of telly for his other job, and, and me and James watch films for our other job. So um, there's a lot of watching shit going on. There is yeah. a lot of watching shit, and obviously, I have to fit in rewatches of shows I've watched before. So yeah, right. exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so much to be done. Uh, Emma Maskman says, "As St Patrick's Day is next week, who's your favourite Irish character on TV?" That is, of course, Detective Superintendent Ted Hastings. Uh, what Lord have we got? Is <laughs> <laughs> not what he sounds like. Uh, Jajalu ninety asks, "With the vast back catalogue on Disney Plus, Star, etc., have you revisited any older shows you adore?" Well, I think I've answered that question already. I like the way you're answering these questions. I know. I think I've answered that question already. All right, all right. This one from Hugo N. Terry. What is the best show about fighting back? against the patriarchy <laughs> oh god that's right. good um let's be frank there isn't really a huge number of shows that are great about fighting back with the patriarchy because most of them are made by the patriarchy because we all exist within a patriarchal system in this <laughs> late stage capitalist world of hell that we you know <laughs> inhabit but Something like you know, something like Hand- *Handmaid's Tale*, mm. which is um, is very difficult to watch because obviously the the context for it is that um, women have been um, hugely oppressed, turned into cattle essentially, baby making machines who have no no independence or um, value or worth beyond that. But obviously, what then happens out of that and the way that those women fight back is. Um, is very powerful and very moving, but uh, you will notice that a lot of uh, a lot of shows don't really seek to dismantle the patriarchy. I mean, Terry, not to mansplain the patriarchy to you, but do you not think that the Handmaid's Tale really all it does is commoditize women's suffering? Well, you could say that all art commoditizes women's suffering, couldn't you? You could say that any film or TV show or book. That or kind podcast. of nav- that navigates women's pain is, of course, commoditizing it because we exist in a capitalist society in which everything kind of has a monetary value ascribed to it. So, yes, James, we could say that everything. You could say that this conversation is, you know, commoditizing women's pain. <laughs> it's commoditizing you even the, the word, by the way. Yes. <laughs> Isn't it commodified? <laughs> commoditizing i mean this entire podcast is like the patriarchy come to life and i'm continually struggling within it so you know i just try and do my little bit to fight back against the patriarchy each week by giving us shit yes you're a one-man patriarchy james that's the problem oh thank you boy that's the sweetest thing you've ever said But that none of those things are our question this week. Uh, in fact, our question this week comes from Abe Froman, the Sausage King of Chicago, and he says, with children going back to school, what were your favourite shows when you were kids and what was the show you try and stay up beyond your bedtime to watch? I was laughing at the, like, ooh, there's a, you, you have a bedtime and you can't watch certain shows, so you I like, did, did people have, did people yes. have bedtimes? Oh, 100%. Okay. <laughs> well, so, I mean, I was watching, like, Scum and oh, uh, The Craze, and so there wasn't really anything that I, like, wasn't allowed to watch or was past my bedtime. It's really funny. Um, but what I did watch as a kid, Scum. I think I've mentioned the rac- raccoons before. I was obsessed with the raccoons. Um <laughs> 
And when I was a teenager, I was obsessed with Beverly Hills 90210 because I thought that, you know, if I worked hard enough at school, I'd be able to move to Beverly Hills and also have <laughs> kids who had their own bathroom. Because um, I was so, like, shocked that Brenda had her own bathroom in Beverly Hills. Um, uh, yeah, so they're my choices. Young Terry raccoons. Yeah. Teenage Terry Beverly Hills. <laughs> from, from raccoons. I remember raccoons. From raccoons to... yeah. yeah. And then in the middle, scum and craze. Scum. Yeah. I'm the same as Terry. I was. I don't think I was not allowed to specifically not allowed to watch stuff. So I remember I watched completely inappropriate things. Like um, I have a very strong memory of watching Bouquet of Barbed Wire. I may have mentioned this before, which was a brilliant seventies. Kind of like soap, but really classily done with Frank Finlay and Susan Manhalligan. And it was basically quite a lot about um, incestuous love of a father and daughter. I mean, that was one of the strong themes of it. And it was really out there in terms of the storylines and the stuff that it, it was massive success. And I think I was, must have been about nine or something when that was on. Um, and I think, remember my parents being absolutely fine with me watching that. And things like uh, Monty Python. I remember watching Monty Python, which was quite rude. Um, and saucy back in the day, you know, when I was probably eight, seven, eight, maybe. Um, it was, I think it was on BBC Two on a Sunday night, about 10 o'clock, I think, roughly, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking. And, of course, Doctor Who, I, w- I remember very, very vividly watching. John Pert, who was my doctor, um, and I was must have been seven, eight, I think, watching Doctor Who, John Pert, who Doctor Who, very, very, very vivid memories of that, like giant spiders and um, him, him, just thinking he was absolutely brilliant, loving him. And his version of that character, um, but yeah, loads watch loads of it. I remember very clearly watching Washington Behind Closed Doors, right, which was a which was a fictionalized account of Watergate, and it was brilliant with Jason Robards Jr. Jason Robards as very obviously Nixon, but they didn't call them they didn't call them by their actual names for some stupid reason. Nowadays, you just go go for broken, it would all be clear. But it was a brilliant. It was a politi- American politics drama, and I was eight when it came out. And I very <laughs> vividly remember watching it, so it must have been a precocious little shit. But yeah, I loved all that stuff. No, I, I I had a very strict bedtime when when I was a kid. So I remember when V, because V was like one of oh, the v, big remember, event yeah. TV shows. That was nineteen eighty four, and I remember my bedtime was probably like seven o'clock or something, and it probably started at nine. And I never got to watch it, and everyone else was talking about it, and I wasn't able to see it because my mum wouldn't let me stay up to watch it. So that was my early childhood trauma. But uh, uh, beyond that, yeah, I remember watching. A, can I just say? Can I just say that is like classic middle class trauma? It's like yeah. You know, there's, there's a, tell us about your trauma, James. James, let me just put down my book about abuse and violence. Like, James, tell me about your bedtime. Yeah. In, in the drama of your life, there'll be those like flashbacks, those very stylized flashbacks. And like for some, it's like I, I have my, there's a brilliant one in, in in the show we're coming up to review actually, where there's a flashback to her this child having a first alcoholic drink. For you, it'd be like yeah, yeah. there'll be mummy, mummy yeah. diet mommy- going. James, it's bedtime. The TV just closing down. Yeah. James, there's despair writ v, large. V disappearing. Yeah. In a, in a, in a... My tear-jerking memoir, <laughs> It's Bedtime, will be coming out next week from Simon & Schuster. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. Uh, I also used to watch a lot of those, like, you know, frankly, they're shitty procedures. Like, Demsey and Makepeace was one that I really liked. I used to watch a lot of that. Do you remember Cover Up with Jennifer O'Neill? It's a Glenn, it was a Glenn Larson show. Oh, yeah, I do remember And she that, was yeah. like, uh, like, her husband dies. It turns out he's a 
in the CIA and she's trying to fathom it all out. I remember that. And I think the, when we got our first VCR player, our first video recorder, I think that was the show I wanted to record. Like that night it was going to be on. So I just recorded an episode of that. And I thought it was like, oh, I'm living in the future. I can record things. I was quite late to getting a video recorder. Um, Hunter. Do you remember Hunter with Fred Dreyer? It was like a cop show. That was another no. one. No. I used to watch a lot of that. No. Uh, Dallas Dynasty and the Colbys I used oh, yeah, to watch yeah, with my mum. Yeah. Yeah, same. Um, same. But when I was when when I think I was a kid, I think my favourite TV shows were Faulty Towers and Red Dwarf. So much so that I used to watch them going to sleep. I had a little TV in my room with oh. a video recorder, and I used to put them on as I went to sleep and go to sleep watching watching either Faulty Towers or Red Dwarf. Like it was always one of the yeah, other. Yeah, Faulty Towers for sure. Um, yeah, which is I think why I know them all off by heart because they've seeped into my subconscious while I was sleeping. But um, I love those. And cartoon wise, I used to love those ones. You remember? So like as a kid, you'd wake up on a Saturday morning, and first of all, you'd need to wait for TV to start. Do you remember this? Like TV wasn't on because like it used to shut down at night. There was no oh, TV at night. Oh, yeah. So you'd wait for, and there'd be that little test signal of the girl with the clown on the blackboard, and you'd wait for TV to start. And inevitably, what it would kick off with is something like Get Fresh with Gaz Top. And they'd have these, <laughs> these fucking Saturday morning children's entertainment variety shows, normally with a live crowd set in a field somewhere with Gilbert the Alien. And what they'd do is they'd have some kick-ass cartoon. But to keep you from stopping watching the actual show, which was objectively shit, they would show you the cartoon in like five-minute chunks. So you remember Centurions, the cartoon Centurions? Uh -huh. They show you five minutes of it at like hourly intervals during the morning. So to watch the whole of this half-hour, 25-minute show, you'd have to watch the whole of fucking Get Fresh just to get it in your head. Um, so this is going to go in my book as well. Get There's fresh, another trauma. Get Fresh was quite late on, though. What about Noel, Noel Edmonds' Multicolored Swap Show? Is what you, what, oh, that um, was another one. That was another yeah, one. Yeah, that was one of the first. And shit like that. But these were not Saturday mornings, were they? Yeah, they were Saturday mornings. Multicolored Swap Show was Saturday morning, you idiot. Yeah, okay. Tis was, was, Tis was, was iconic <laughs> Saturday remember. morning. Absolutely, yeah. You probably weren't allowed to watch them because they were too common. Yeah, Although, yeah actually, no, Multicolored Swap Show was weirdly kind of, I had some amazing, like Tony Hart would come on and draw whatever the people on the phone would say. They had phone-ins all the time and kids would ask him to draw stuff and he'd draw brilliant things in 10 seconds of whatever the kid asked to be drawn. So there was there were cultural elements to Multicolored Swap Show as well. Well, I, I remember they had uh, on Get Fresh, they used to get, people would call in and play Xenon, the uh, the video game Xenon, uh, and that was their big thing to win prizes. But uh, I used to like that. Other cartoons I like, Jason the Wheeled Warriors. Did you ever watch that? That was a good one. Mysterious Cities of Gold, Ulysses 31. These were all kind of the oh, cartoons of my youth. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Terry did watch it. <laughs> oh, Ulysses 31, which I can only assume was set in 2031. So frankly, if we're not living that cartoon in 10 years' time, I'm going to be very disappointed. I also loved Tales of the Unexpected. I'm just, they were coming back to me now. <laughs> Tales of the Unexpected was brilliant. I, there were loads of anthology shows back then, and Thriller, which was Brian Clemens, which I have also mentioned before, which was an amazing series that ran from 1972 to 76, which was like a different scary story every week. So I liked horror from quite early on. I think I was about, I think I was like seven, six when Thriller started. And I'm sure I watched all the episodes. Grain Chill, of course. <sighs> Grain Chill, which my mum famously wrote oh, in yeah. to complain about. Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> Brilliant. Because they didn't sound their teas properly. Oh, oh. <laughs> oh, that's, a, that's a whole chapter in the yeah, memoir. That is, is yeah, that is chapter be a, three. Chapter that's going to be a big chapter in the book. The, the trauma teats. of the having to listen to children who spoke with working class accents. <laughs>
<laughs> oh, she wasn't bothered about the people on heroin, but the T's. The, yeah, the mispronounced yeah, T's. It. It was the, oh, the, the mispronounced T's. That was a deal breaker. <laughs> Absolute deal breaker. That is fantastic. Uh, right. Well, Abe, I hope that's answered your question. If you have a question for the Pilot TV podcast, please DM it to at Pilot TV Pod, which I do go through from time to time, or to me at James C. Dyer. Uh, or maybe next week I'll do what I did this week and send out a panicked call for questions if I can't find one. Right. Shall we bring up the news? What's been happening in the world of news? Um, well, there was a big Sarah Phelps um, news this week. I don't know if you saw, which is that her uh, a very British scandal. So she's right. So there was a very mm. English scandal, which was the Russell T. Davis scripted Jeremy Thorpe story with Hugh Grant, which was brilliant. And like the second, if you like, in that taking that concept is is set, she is writing a very British scandal, and it was revealed this week that Claire Foy and Paul Bettany are um, going to play the leads, which is pretty amazing casting. And it tells the story of the divorce of the Duke and Duchess of Argyle. So Bettany will be the Duke, Claire Foy will be the Duchess. It was one of the most notorious um, legal cases of the 20th century and involves um, drugs, um, bribery, explicit Polaroid photos, and it's going to be amazing because obviously Sarah Phelps is writing it and um, the team that made a very English scandal can't go wrong. Sounds great. Yeah. Now, I don't know anything about the story or indeed the uh, Duke and Duchess of Argyle. I don't know that much about I think it's the story. If I'm not if I'm not very much mistaken, I think it's touched upon in the um documentary series we watched a couple of weeks ago, um, by that documentary dude whose name I've forgotten. Someone tweeted me this week that I keep forgetting everyone's name and they said, Are you okay? Right. This guy tweeted me. He said, I listen to you on the pilot this is true, right? Again, I listen to you on the pilot TV podcast. You're always forgetting everyone's names. Are you okay? Like as in, have you got Alzheimer's or and to be frank with you, I've always when I have lots and lots of names to to remember in a thing like if I'm reviewing films on radio or, or TV it is, I get quite stressed out about it so I do forget names that I know if like you know if you said them to me you know if I wasn't recording a podcast so yeah. I think my brain's okay but I have forgotten the name of that documentary series we reviewed by that guy um, I know which, the one you mean yeah you know but the I one. can't remember so you forgot me well <laughs> yeah can't it get it out good. of my head can't get <laughs> yeah, it out of it. my head right I think that touched upon the Duke yeah. and Duchess of Argyle if I'm not very much mistaken unless it was a completely different story but I think it did okay good hmm. good well that sounds very very exciting uh, and when, when's it coming out when are we seeing it when are we going uh, I think it'll be later this year so I think they're filming it now or mm. imminently and I think it'll be later this year or maybe early next year even good 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 love Paul Bettany he's amazing yeah, he's done quite well recently, isn't he? He has been doing very well recently, but his his uh, vision performance in in WandaVision yeah. was next level. Uh, it really absolutely was very good him. indeed. Uh, what else is happening in the world? There is a a new ITV thriller been announced called The Tower, which I think is based on a book by a police officer, uh, and it has people working on it from Homeland, The Serpent. I May Destroy You, Save Me Too, an incredible calibre of people. And the story apparently is um, that a veteran cop and teenage girl fall to their death from a tower block in South East London. That's my ITV thriller voice, guys. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so it um, sounds like an amazing crew. It sounds like, a, you know, I love me, I love me a, a, a police crime drama. So three-parter apparently coming um, this spring and casting new soon. Um, did you see the Stephen Knight's next project and cast announcement for the BBC? So Stephen Knight, not. of Stephen Knight of Peaky Blinders fame, 
His next big project is, I feel, slightly un- unlikely. And of course, you're a huge fan of his um, Apple TV show, C. Yes. You are the Frankly, fan. Frankly, I would like him to focus on that, but sure. Right, well, he's not focusing on that, unfortunately for you, because he is adapting the book SAS Rogue Heroes, which is Ben McIntyre's book about the formation of the SAS in World War II. And it's and people love SAS SAS shit. There's a there's a there's a Noel Clark produced film about the SAS, isn't it? Arriving, I think it arrives this weekend on Sky Cinema. I'm sure it'll be huge. People love these things, and the, but the cast is pretty impressive for this. I mean, as it would be because Stephen Knight, BBC, mm. uh, Connor Swindles from Sex Education, Jack O'Connell, Alfie Allen, Sophia Butella, Dominic West, etc. Um, so yeah, really good people, and mm. um, it's going to be an epic BBC One series, written by Stephen Knight. I think C. I don't think you're ever going to see C season two. I think you'd be lucky. No, I, mean, I don't no, like to break no, it to you. No, no. In fact, in fact, didn't am I going mental? Didn't I read somewhere? Hang on, I'm going to Google this right now. I could have sworn that I saw some, or maybe I dreamt it, that C had been preemptively renewed for season three ahead of the season two <laughs> debut. It. But it could have been a dream. I don't that's know. Definitely, that's definitely one of your dreams. <laughs> you think? Yeah. You can recount oh. it in the end of your memoir. <laughs> dream, yeah. I dreamt of renewed shows that weren't ever renewed. <laughs> uh, I think we all know C is the greatest thing on television and it needs to be renewed yeah. for a third season. Yeah. Um, do you see that uh, Russian Doll 2 yes. uh, has started production? Uh, yes. And Annie Murphy, Shit's Creek's Annie Murphy, is joining the cast of that one. Yeah, that is exciting, yeah. Yeah, that was a good show. It's been a, it feels like it's been a very long time. When did Russian Doll air? God. I, must was be it a couple of years, years ago. ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it was, it was yeah. a while, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's taken a while to get. Yeah, it's taken a while, yeah. I want to talk about something that you're going to say isn't, new, isn't <laughs> news, but it's absolutely news uh-huh. and is telly news. Mm-hmm. Um, the Harry and Meghan interview, oh, which God. were... How big were the ratings, boy? For eleven TV? million. Like, eleven million. Eleven million. Yeah. Eleven million viewers. I mean, and on, and obviously, it's completely dominated the news all week. But I'll tell you what, it made me apart from you know um, the British press are horrendous and the royal family are horrendous and uh, the the racism on display makes me despair. Apart from that, didn't it make you like miss? the art of the long-form TV interview. Do you know what I mean? Because obviously mm. everything now is about sign bites and it's about little um, kind of ex- aggressive exchanges and about trying to get something, trap somebody in the corner and get something out of them. And it's all about having those little snippets you can put on Twitter and on social and get people like riled up. And actually, like, you know, think about TV interviews of old um, whether it was like Diane Sawyer or, you know, when they used to interview massive names and they, yeah, they would have like a 45-minute hour-long mm. conversation. And it is, you get a completely different thing when it is a proper conversation, when you're, it's not about a gotcha, it's about a genuine kind of long conversation that kind of follows an arc and has has actual kind of moments of somebody listening and asking questions. So everything else is all the other shittery and fuckery aside. It really just made me kind of miss those, miss those TV interviews. Yeah, I guess you're right, and I think I wonder whether um, a. I mean, I think it's a symptom of TV. I mean, British TV particularly. Actually, they, they kind of still yeah. happen more in America. I think. Yeah. But British TV, you're right. It's really rare to get an in-depth interview, and even like half an hour is the max you'll get, even around the election. You know, when they yeah. were doing big set piece interviews, you'd 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 rarely get more than half an hour. So it always feels really rushed. I always feel. Yeah, those things are. But I wonder whether podcasts is where they where those conversations happen, isn't mm. it? It's like those mm. long interviews. That's where that. But the other big TV, the other big TV moment 
that the Piers Morgan walking off GMTV, or whatever it's called, Good Morning Britain, as I call it, um, with Alex Barris, the, the weatherman, essentially, yeah. that was an um, that was like that was genuinely like something out of the morning show. Or, you yeah, know, like, well, and then they, uh, the way they reacted the next yeah, day after he yeah. quit with the two women, you know, yeah, obviously exactly. the, women, the statement she read. Exactly. Which, like, it was literally, incredible. I'm sure there were a couple of lines in there from yeah. Jennifer Aniston's speech. Exactly. It was so much, it was, and it is like, yeah, it was an incredible moment where they basically forced Piz Morgan to be confronted by someone who disagreed with him, quite rightly, pointing out his bullshit. And it was an unbelievable TV moment. So, yeah, these mm. were it was TV news, even though James is looking glossy. I, I've stopped listening. I'm sorry. Are you aware of any of these things even happening, James? <laughs> Do you peripherally. Know, <laughs> peripherally. Have you, have you heard of Meghan Markle? Yes, vaguely. <laughs> I, I enjoyed Suits. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. But, yeah, no, I did not watch either of those things, although I do think Piers Morgan is a colossal bellend, so, you know, not to see him go. That's However, correct. I would like to say to both of you, ha-ha! Ha-ha! See Land's early season three renewal at Apple oh TV+. Plus. I didn't dream it. It is real. It will be coming out of the memoir. Uh, that is an yeah. actual thing that's happening. Uh, season two, which we haven't seen yet, wrapped filming oh, okay. um, this month, I think, actually. And then we'll see that later in the year. And then they're going to go straight into production of season three. So we will be seeing <laughs> much more of C and doing specials on every episode, obviously, because it's the greatest Do thing you think, ever. I was thinking about this. Like, I'm glad. I'm glad for you. I'm pleased for you. That's it. But, but <laughs> I do feel weird. Like Apple is weirdly like we're, we're, talk, we're reviewing an Apple TV Plus show later, but maybe we should talk about them. But I do feel like they're weirdly like under under publicised their stuff. Like yeah. Yeah. it's weird. I do it? agree it's with like, that. You almost like even to know what's coming up, you have to kind of check the Apple website. They don't really yeah. tell you. They're not very. It's the, the anti Netflix in that sense. Like Netflix absolutely builds everything up. You know, quite rightly, it's the that's that's what they do. They've made billions yeah, out of it. Yeah, but Netflix drops shows out of nowhere. Remember when Warrior Nun just turned sure. up one day? They have a mix, but that's almost like a deliberate um, thing. Some like shows they like to drop without any fanfare, and others they give you weeks, months of build-up, you know. Like Bridgerton was like, that was massive amount of publicity went into that, you know. And mm. so, but with Apple TV, I just don't get, I, I like with Servant, I feel like hardly anyone's paying any attention to it whatsoever. Yeah. And most people haven't heard of C, let alone yeah, seen no, it. Right, you know what I mean? Right, Even right. the morning show, very few people, it does seem like they need to make more of a splash of this stuff because I do maintain that Apple have some great stuff on there and they're doing some yeah. really bold, as we will get on to, and innovative things. Uh, yeah. And obviously C is amazing and should win all the awards. But uh, people should be watching this stuff. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Uh, what else is happening? Um, 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 so Natalie Portman and Lupita Nyong'o are going to be in an Apple miniseries, which they presumably won't publicise. But this is, uh, this is Lady <laughs> Lady in the Lake, and it's based on a, a novel by uh, Laura Lippmann. And it's, it's a thriller, and I don't really know much more about it. Oh, yeah, here we go. Here's a, here's a synopsis for you. It takes place in 60s Baltimore, where an unsolved murder pushes housewife and mother Maddie Schwartz, which is Natalie Portman, to reinvent her life as an investigative journalist and sets her on a collision course with Cleo Sherwood, which is Lupita Nyong'o, a hard-working woman juggling motherhood. Now, as we can all sound, that sounds pretty good. I think we can all agree it would be significantly improved if they transplanted that plot into a future where, say, everyone was blind. But, you know, <laughs> assuming that's not the case, we'll just get on with this. Yep. Yep. Um, yep. Dakota Fanning is going to be, it's been cast opposite um, uh, Andrew, Andrew Scott. Scott. Thank you. Andrew Scott. Thanks, <laughs> <laughs> that guy tweets me. Wait, are you all right? <laughs> yeah, I think I'm okay. I think I'm okay. Yeah. Um, in Ripley, 
the Showtime adaptation of the Patricia Highsmith Ripley novels, as in the talented Mr. Woo! Ripley. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Yes. Ha- hang on. Why does this warrant a Terry Woo? <laughs> because um, I'm feeling a bit lethargic because of our medication. So um, I just thought in my head... You need to do something to get your um, mm. energy levels up. So I decided to scream. <laughs> it's not just that you're a Fair massive, enough. talented Mr. Ripley fan. You just thought no, you woo. No. Okay. Fair enough. Carry on. Uh, I mean, I think it deserves um, a woo. I'm a massive Andrew Scott fan, even though I forgot his name just now. <laughs> I lo- love that guy. What's his name? Yeah. I love him. He's brilliant. You know, the guy, him with the face. <laughs> now, he actually told me about this show. Um, and quite, he's really excited about it. It's uh, and he said the scripts are incredible, and they have to wait till it's all sunny in Italy or wherever they are to film it, and um, it's going to be good. Yeah, <laughs> Ripley, <laughs> cannot wait. Anything else, or are we done? Uh, I feel we're done. There's probably we'll something massive that we've missed, but let's move on anyway. Let's skip straight ahead to this week's reviews, and we begin this week with The Flight Attendant. Uh, this one is based on the novel by Chris Bojalian, uh, and this aired in the US on HBO Max last year. If you've ever watched The Big Bang Theory, then you'll probably be familiar with Kelly Cuoco, uh, but she proves that she's capable of far more than, frankly, the limited character of Penny allowed uh, in this quite quirky murder mystery in which she plays flight attendant Cassie, who wakes up after a big night out in Thailand next to Michael Husman's bloody corpse. Boyd, did you... <laughs> I'm trying to think of something. Did you have good flight? Did you have a good flight? <laughs> did you touch We're crowdsourcing terrible puns now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes, Boyd. Did you have a good flight with this? <laughs> <laughs> That's terrible. Um, I did actually. Yes. Um, uh, this is, it's a weird one because this is a story about a a murder uh, at the heart of it. Kaylee Kawako's character, um, Cassie wakes up with this guy she's met fairly recently on the flight. He's in first class. He's handsome. He's played by Michel Huisman off Game of Thrones. Is that how we're saying it That's now? how yeah. I'm saying it, yeah. Um, and uh, she is what James Dyer would describe as a hot mess, uh, this character, <laughs> Kelly Craig's character. Um, she likes a drink. She likes a fella. Um, and why not? And she kind of quite proud and out about that her lifestyle it seems great fun but she does wake up this is the premise it's not a spoiler and he is dead brutally uh, murdered next to her in bed but the whole tone of this show can only be described as jaunty um it's quite comic that even so i think the clues are in the title sequence is this stylized animated thing um that might be fit more an out-and-out comedy show. The tone of it, it uses split screens and lots of trickery. The music is positively jaunty and, mm. and almost comical. Um, and it's kind of played for laughs, a lot of it, which, and why not? You know, it's a kind of, it's a it's a black comedy in that sense. Yes, there's a murder at the heart of it, a quite a grim, <laughs> brutal murder. But, and, and then she keeps imagining him coming back and she talks to um, the, the character who's been killed. So it's got that kind of um, thing going on as well. Um, so it, inclo- it kind of employs every trick in the book to tell this story that I think is pretty much instantly compelling and instantly gripping. I really want to know, I do want to know what happened to him and how, and then, and as it goes on, I've watched three episodes by the third episode, you start to be aware that there's a bigger thing going on in entangling lots of different characters other than just her. Um, it's got a brilliant cast. Rosie Perez, and I love Rosie Perez. She's like her best mate, seemingly, um, in the in, for the airline that where they work. Um, Zosha Mamet from Girls 
is I fucking love Zosha Mama, and she <laughs> is brilliant in this as um, her best friend and lawyer who ends up having to help her <laughs> legally for various reasons without wanting to spoil anything. And honestly, I could watch Zosha Mama in anything, but she's phenomenal in this. She played um, Shoshana in Girls, and she was I, I, I loved her in Girls, but she's so brilliant in this. Her kind of her kind of almost like um, dismissive way that she has with her best friend, who's everything she's done has been ridiculous. All her behaviour is terrible. All her decision making is appalling. And Zosha's character has to point that out to her in a brilliantly funny and believable and realistic way. And then in episode three, I think it is, you meet her boyfriend, and their relationship ends up being really funny and interesting as well. So there's a lot of rich stuff going on in this series. I think it's really, really good. I can see how some people might be slightly irritated by the quite jaunty comic tone, but I went with it and I was fine with it and I enjoyed it. Yeah, it's a bit of an odd one tonally. And I think I liked it, but it 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 did wrong foot me. And as you say, it opens with this incredibly stylish Saul Bass-inspired mm. Mad Men-esque um, opening. And, and I was kind of... And it doesn't actually match really anything in the show. Jaunty is a very good word. Confusing is another word because it is—it's there's part mystery. It's a thriller. It is a comedy and a physical comedy. She is great at physical comedy. Surrealism in there. Um, it's a rom com in in parts. Um, you do have to suspend disbelief. So there's things that happen that are just fucking ridiculous, but that's fine. Let's just like all accept that. The, the tone is sometimes a bit problematic because the way she behaves, and I, I wrote a note that said if we were the kind of podcast that used the term hot mess, then we would absolutely <laughs> call her a hot, hot mess because she's meant to be, she's more than just a party girl. It basically kind of sets out that she's an alcoholic, mm. which is then reinforced by these flashbacks that you mentioned earlier, Boyd, which are kind of done in like a sepia and there's a, a there's kind of, you know, blurring and, and distortion on the lens and then it becomes, it sharpens up throughout the um, episode um, and it's clear that, you know, she's a hot mess because she had a, a dad who's clearly got a drinking problem who hands her a beer when she's really young. There's a dead deer that it, it becomes clear she's shot. So, and that feels really kind of serious next to... This party girl who fell asleep on the subway and always, you know, is a chaotic force and only just manages to kind of keep her shit together and shags men in toilets and all of this. And then you kind of have this like hint that it's actually the result of trauma. And those things don't always sit easily together because actually she's a real alcoholic and that's because her dad gave her booze at 10 years old and um, clearly there's a level of brutality in that relationship. That, for me, kind of stopped me finding it funny because I was like, oh, shit, actually, now I feel bad for laughing because they're, they're hinting that there's trauma in there. And, and I'll tell you what, I didn't, I just didn't know if that was needed because it felt like almost like having to justify why she was like she was. Oh, yeah, she, she drinks and she parties and she can't hold down relationships and because this awful thing happened to her in her childhood. And it's quite rich for me to say this, but I, I just don't think women always need those backstories, those bits of context that make that behaviour okay. She can just be a hot mess. She can just like having a drink and shagging men. And and so that's where the tone mm. kind of broke down a bit for me because I can't feel sad about her drinking booze at 10 years old with her psycho dad 
and then one minute and then the next minute be laughing at the fact that she loves the drink a bit too much um so uh, that that was the bit that was uncomfortable for me but other than that i have to say i really enjoyed it i think she's brilliant i think this is like the best thing she's done um she switches from out and out slapstick physical comedy to genuine emotion and devastation um softness hard i think she like within minutes um i think there's a whole range of stuff going on here with with her i was reading some of the reviews on rotten tomatoes and i've got to read you one from um from a a a normal person who just said i just cannot stand the woman who self-destructs at every chance that she has and treats her friends like shit I just hope she dies instead of others in this TV (laughs) series. This is how much I hated the main character in the TV series. Wow. And and I did, and I thought, you know what, like, that's why I feel like they put that stuff in about her childhood because they have to, they have Mm. to give the audience a justification and, and a framing for why she is like she is, because otherwise, how do you feel sympathy for her? And I think there's still a thing about women being likable and sympathetic and all of that. But that, that's kind of a side. No, um, I will keep watching it. I think I'm quite interested at the the mystery at the heart of it. As you said, Boyd, it becomes clear that it's much bigger than just um, what happened to this one man this one night in that room. No, I, I I agree with you. I think I think she's like her casting is the is the thing that really makes this work. I, the thing she's kind of it's a very different role to what she plays in the Big Bang Theory because it actually has some depth but she still does the incredible face acting that she does in Big Bang Theory she has an incredibly expressive face from kind of like wide-eyed incredulity to kind of pursed lip disdain and it's all up there on her face and actually I think because the tone of the show is really weird that's why she's perfect casting for it because she manages to convey this very quirky slightly silly character and tone while dealing with I mean let's be honest the actual plot is is a little bit alias light like it's not it's not particularly great and I think if this was a really sort of po-face serious take on this material I don't think it would work because it's not compelling enough I think to carry that I think what makes this work is the fact that it's silly and light enough that you kind of skate along with it and it's jet setting and it moves from this country to that country and the fact that we're not allowed to leave the country obviously makes that feel slightly exciting when you're watching other people having a vicarious holiday through them um but yeah I thought it was good and I especially like well, I think what works best about this show for me is the relationship she has with Michael Michel Uthman uh with Michael Usman's Hus- character um because he kind of, in the middle of scenes, sometimes multiple times in a scene, she will crash zoom out of that scene and appear in this kind of fantasy mind palace where she's back in the hotel room having a conversation with Michael Husband's ghost. And they're flirting and they're chatting and he's almost like this dead love interest. It's really weird. But he comes up with clues and ideas and talks her through it as she tries to figure out the mystery. And obviously because she's he's a figment of her imagination, he only knows as much as she knows, even when he's talking about his own life. And that makes the whole thing really charming i thought that was great uh that was really the highlight of the whole thing uh yeah i i, I thought it was from from end to end what's quite odd about it though is it's a it's a, it was a limited series it's based on a novel but i don't know at what point they decided this but it's actually been renewed for a second season mm. so there is going to be more of this down the road but uh yeah it's good stuff yeah because it, it was a massive hit for um for hbo uh wasn't it and hbo max it's also got michelle gomez who i fucking love as well i just remembered her her walking around looking crazy does have michelle gomez (laughs) michelle gomez who again an actor who brings a level of absurdity i think to everything she's in partly because of the face acting yeah but like you know you see her and you can't help thinking you know the dark lord from sabrina yeah yeah Yeah. 
she's a lot of fun in this as well. But uh, that is The Flight Attendant, and that begins on Sky One on Friday, the 19th of March at 9pm. Next up this week, we have The Completely Batty Calls. Now, this is based on a French show by Timothée Hochet uh, and not Michel Usman, uh, and it is an audio-based TV show that mixes sound with psychedelic visuals. So heedless of the fact that it's 2021, and really the only people who actually make phone calls these days are scammers and serial killers, uh, this kind of creepily effective show sees people picking up the blower and the drama plays out over the phone as we watch weird lights and shapes and read the transcripts of the calls there are some notable names actually to listen for in some of these episodes terry is it as bob hoskins once maintained good to talk um i mean this is ridiculous like let's just cut to the chase this is this is not my cup of tea at all because i am an old-fashioned girl and then in my old-fashioned way i think fucking tv should have pictures This made me furious. I've got to tell you, I was livid watching this. I was livid at the director. I was livid at Apple. I was livid at you for making me watch it. I was livid at Boy. Like, I was livid at my TV for existing. Like, honestly, what the fuck? Do you like so, it then? Oh, my God. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you what they claim this is, right? So an auditory thriller... A groundbreaking, immersive television experience based on the buzzy blah, blah, blah. Masterfully using audio and minimal abstract visuals. Like, just because you make it sound like the world's worst marketing meeting doesn't make it good. Like, a television experience. I don't want a television experience. I just want to watch a TV show. Here is the big problem with this. It This is literally a radio show. So the brilliant thing about radio, if I listen to The Archers, which I don't because it's shit, I want pictures, <laughs> but if I were to listen to The Archers, then, you know, I, that's what I turn my radio on for. I expect it to just be audio. That's the deal. It's radio. If I'm going to listen to a podcast, it's audio. That's the deal. Excellent. When I watch my TV... I'm expecting a picture. So just because you take away the big thing that makes telly telly doesn't make it groundbreaking. It just makes it annoying and actually completely unsuited to the medium. That aside, I'll tell you a bit about it. So <laughs> this um this sort of life is a short film by Timothée Hoche. I think my French was very good then. Um, Très bon. Uh, yeah. Très bon. Oui. Uh, that wasn't, they weren't real words. Um, and he was then um, contacted about making that into a 10-episode TV series for French telly. And then when that went out, he was contacted about doing the same um, for a US version. They say that this is essentially the same as the French version with kind of minor differences in terms of names or locations, but the gist of the stories is exactly the same. And the idea is that even though they are kind of standalone episodes, that they are all linked and um, characters will appear in future phone calls. And essentially, they're all kind of linked to each other in some way. And it basically all relates to the end of the world, which is cheery. As you alluded to, James, there are some massive names involved in this. So um, Pedro Pascal, Rosario Dawson, Lily Collins, Alan, Ta- uh, Alan? Alan Taylor Johnson, Aaron Taylor Johnson, Aubrey, Alan, oh, Aubrey Plaza, um, written and directed by um, Fede Alvarez, uh, Evil Dead, 
Don't Breathe, obviously a horror director, and there are definite horror influences on this in terms of the writing, the way it's uh, performed. It's, it's bordering between horror and thriller, I'd say. Now, look, the, the episodes themselves, it's not that, you know, the delivery... I can't comment on the performance because it is literally just audio. And it's not that there's anything wrong with that. It's convincing, I think, um, to prepare filmmakers like listen to loads of 911 calls and they're trying to recapture that sense of authenticity and kind of the the gaps you fill in when you can't see what you're hearing. So the way our imaginations and our minds do create our own images when those gaps exist. I understand that philosophically, but it still doesn't work because it's fucking telling. Um, So there's nothing wrong with the episodes themselves in terms of the writing or the storytelling or anything. It is just dramatically unsuited to the medium. So, And they differ in length. Some are 14 minutes, some are 19 minutes, some are more compelling than others. Each has a kind of a mystery at the centre of it. Um, I I just can't, I cannot get over it. And I, I'm... I kind of hate the fact that it's being touted as this kind of big step forward when it so fundamentally works against the medium that it's for. I find that really, really, really frustrating. Really, really, really frustrating. I found it very unsatisfying. I don't listen to radio plays for a very good reason. If I did listen to radio plays, then maybe this would be a good one to listen to. I do not, I I philosophically do not understand the point of it. The abstract kind of, you know, whatever they are, the visuals you see, spiking and uh, you know i've spent ages going oh maybe there's some meaning in that shape on the screen just trying to like put some visual significance on this and i think i was just making it up in the end because there's nothing really there so no i found this incredible no just no actually i just i found i really i really found this frustrating i found it kind of arrogant quite honestly and i i think this is totally emperor's new clothes um and and just taking away pictures doesn't make it innovative and bold and daring. Um, it just makes it irritating. Wow, Boydie. What I, I, I had a thought experiment in the middle of listening to or watching, <laughs> listening to whatever you call it this 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 series, um, which was what if you know they've got all the people that that Terry named, all the famous people, all the famous voices. Every voice is by is someone famous. What if there was just you know Brian Johnson. No, no, people you had never heard of. I mean, there would be no interest in this for me. Like, if you know, so the only interest really is trying to work out which character Pedro Pascal was playing or which character Lily Collins is playing. You know, and that's about it. Because I, I agree with Terry. I think it's, I just think it's kind of weirdly indulgent. This is the thing. This is the thing you're trying to get us to, to pay attention to right now. And you know, it's kind of all clunky. So. Because you can't see anything like that, you know, you get the character saying, oh, there's a man looks with a face that looks like you, you know, and you're like, well, yeah, if you can see it, then you can just show us that. And the clunky um, exposition wouldn't have to explain those things. I just found it very, I listened to like three of them, watched, listened to, but you can completely listen to it because the Terry says the visuals aren't even... They're kind of be- at first you think, oh, there's a relevance to this pattern that's playing out into the to the sound of the voices, but then you realise there isn't really. It doesn't really matter. So, um, it, it you could just listen to it. So you can just have it on in the background, like a radio play. Yeah, like the radio, like the radio, 
But it's kind of clunky than that because I think radio plays actually kind of work very hard to go around that. You know, I don't mind radio plays. Actually, sometimes I even do listen to radio plays and they're fine. This was neither because it was between the two. Um, I just it just felt totally pointless and irritating. And I found the actual storyline irritating, like the fact that you know that that it's completely bewildering. So all, everyone is talking to each other in this confused state. Everyone's confused. Everyone's reality is different. Seems to be the whole kind of nub of the thing in all the episodes I listened to, the three episodes I listened to. And I just found that infuriating because there's like, you, you can't get a handle on any of it. And I'm not prepared to listen to the seven other ones to get to whatever fucking ending they had in mind. So it really put me off, both not just the form and structure of it and everything, but actually the the content, the storylines and the dialogue and what was, was supposed to make us scared in a way. It's kind of like a horror audio thing, really, because it's got lots of horror I do some horror films in it, but it isn't scary. It isn't interesting. It's irritating and annoying. Well, I liked it. Oh, you did. You know what? As soon as Boyd said indulgent, I saw your eyes light up. (laughs) Ding, 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 ding. I thought it was good. I didn't expect to like it, but I did. And also, I disagree. I don't know that it's like Karen Gillan's in the first episode, but I didn't realise that when I was listening to it despite her being Scottish, uh, and uh, it didn't really matter to me. Like I, I, This really drew me in quite early on, I think partly because I think it's really eerie, and I thought it actually works very well in that it properly gave me chills that first episode. Like some, I think it's, it's, it's well executed. I don't want to give too much away about the story, but guys speaking to someone, then speaking to something else, and then someone else happens. And as you say, there's, there's a supernatural element to, all, to certainly all the ones I've listened to. So it is it is chilling. But I know what you mean, that you could just listen to it. I do think the visuals add something. So I think the transcription helps in a little bit because it's not always that easy to hear what's going on. But also they do interesting things with the typography to sort of indicate the mood or the tension, which works well as well. And the shapes are quite hypnotic. Like there's one, uh, the second one, in fact, which has the narrative involved sort of a sort of circular thing. And again, this is sort of ever decreasing circles, weird spiraling circular thing that you're kind of disappearing down into as you watch it. And I do think there's something... I don't know whether it's like an ASMR thing, but the combination of the audio and the slightly weird visuals is strangely mesmerizing. Uh, and the first one's only 13 minutes. The second one was 19 minutes. So they're not long. But I, yeah, I thought it was great. So much so that like I was I was trying to do things while listening to it. I, well, frankly, because I was trying to write the script for the podcast. But and I had to stop and actually just watch it because it just sucked me in and I found it quite hypnotic. And and I yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Like, do I think this is the future of TV? Fuck no. Do I think it is a smug, self-indulgent experiment? Of course it is. But but actually, I quite enjoy that it exists, and I enjoyed watching it. I don't want them to make more shows like this. I really don't. But I like that this is a thing, and it's a bit novel. And I think generally it works. And also, you know, obviously, I would like to point out the irony of lambasting audio-only entertainment while making this podcast. But yes, uh... but it is. But it is a podcast. We don't pretend to be anything other than a podcast, which is an audio medium. Why make an audio-only? 
product for a medium that is visual. It doesn't make any sense. And of course you like it because it's fucking smug and entitled and arrogant. Like, you know, like there's millions and millions of, of women out there in the world with brilliant TV ideas who can't, for the love of fucking God, get them green lit. But sure, come in, Mr. Frenchman, with your like weird audio only idea that completely fucking negates the medium of telly. We'll give you a ton of fucking money to make that show. Off you go. Thanks. <laughs> Calls, as, as you will undoubtedly be wanting to know, does appear on Apple TV Plus on Friday, the 19th of March. Finally, this week, we have the one, the only, Line of Duty Series 6. I cannot imagine anyone who listens to a podcast dedicated to TV who hasn't watched the BBC's most successful serialised drama. And if you haven't, then you should probably drop everything and stop listening to this podcast and go and rectify that fact immediately they are all on iplayer if you're here in the uk and i believe amazon has all the episodes in the states it is a super twisty turny show so we will not be discussing any of the plot points from series one to five nor will we be discussing any of the plot points from this new six series lest the beeb service all regulation 15 notices and haul us in for interrogation so on the one hand you're safe from spoilers and on the other hand though this review might actually end up being even more abstract and conceptual than apple's calls was um still let's give it a go boydie how would you rate dsr not's new and improved face fuzz on a scale of one to ten? Oh, ten, definitely yeah i i, I interviewed him um and he was very he talked about how because i i said you know one of the few things we can spoil is that this is the biggest amount of facial hair you've had <laughs> in the six years six series of the show and he's like yeah so he arrives on set this is what he does he, he said jeb mercurio the creator writer quite likes um people's look to have progressed the cast are encouraged to have a different look whether it's you know their hairstyle or whatever and um Jim McHugh is like, yeah, come to the show with a different look. And he, so he arrived on set with a full, with his fullest face fuzz he's ever had. Um, and they were like, yeah, brilliant. That's great. So they went with it. Then, of course, they had a break, a seven month break in filming <laughs> where they had to re, he had to get back the exact same look. So it's quite a complicated process. Um, but that is the only thing we can say, yeah, is that um, Martin Compton's character, DSC Varnett, has the most facial hair he's ever had. Now, we can also say that all of the, those core characters are all back. The and the whole thing, as every as as fans of the show know, every series of Line of Duty starts really from the point of view of having a new main guest star protagonist or antagonist, yep. really, if you like, where the AC twelve anti corruption team that we know and love are investigating a a cop for ver for whatever reason. And so the first episode of each series really is kind of has to introduce that new character. And this mm -hmm. one Sure enough, introduces DCI Joanne Davidson, played by Kelly McDonald, the great Kelly McDonald, and it's really and you and it does introduce all the all, our, all the the old characters as well, Arnott Fleming and Hastings, but it's definitely establishing the core fact of her as a as the new character. We have to work out whether she's a gooden or a badden or something in between. And in the history of of, of Line of Duty, the one of the brilliant things about it is everyone is it's it's a very shifting yeah. um, process working cut. out. It's never clear cut. There's always grey areas. All, and all of our heroes, Arnott, Fleming and Hastings, at various times done stuff that is wrong. You know, Arnott has slept with witnesses. Fleming has done stuff that was is, is ill-advised. So, so all we can say is that it revolves around Joanne Davidson, Kelly McDonald, and she has been investigating, we can say this, a woman called Gail Vella, who was, who was murdered a year before when this series begins. And that murder, she's a famous person, 
I think we can say that much. She's a kind of a celebrity figure, a TV celebrity, Gail Vella. So that I think that will have parallels with real life cases. And I think, and Gemma McCurry has said this, this, there are parallels with real life cases. He's quite happy for people to uh, make those comparisons because he does use real life um, situations in his in in telling these stories. But all, that's so. That's all I'm going to say. But what I, I think what was most fascinating about this first episode is some t- first episodes of Line of Duty can be non-stop action set pieces. Mm. They can end in deaths of main characters. They can they can have the most incredible, spectacular uh, rug pulls. This one I felt was different, and I, th- I thought it was fascinating. I, it almost felt like a psychological thriller, this episode, to me. Like, I think the, the tone of it and the pace of it and the focus of it felt quite different and new. And I think Gemma Curie was always looking at ways to keep the keep because it is a format. It is a, it is definitely like a you know it's a formula, but he's always looking at ways of keeping that fresh and different and vibrant. And I feel like that's what he did brilliantly for me with this opening. Is it was different. It felt different to all the previous series openers. Even if you even within the context of bringing introducing us this new character, and she is by the end of the first episode, she is. It's already an incredibly fascinating, three-dimensional, rich character who you're not sure about and you're fascinated to know what the fuck's going on with her and why the fuck she's done various things that are revealed in the course of this first episode. And I already think... I, 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 I already can't wait to see episode two. So it may not be... So I'd say this. It may not be the most action-packed... Um, rug pull style of an episode, opening episode of Line of Duty ever, but fucking hell, it's unbelievably gripping right all the way again from the start. It's brilliant to have those characters back and they're all in fascinating situations already and she is just amazing um, as, as as Joanne Davidson and Kelly McDonald and, I, and, and yeah, I'm absolutely riveted, compelled um, all over again and reminding why it's, it is one of the greatest dramas on television. It is. It is so good. I mean, I've literally just come out of my binge watch of the, so I'm thrilled to be flowing straight into a six series. Um, and and you know, again, without discussing anything, you know, it wrong foots. You think that there there are developments, I should say, in the first episode. That's all I'm going to say. There are developments. Things are happening, and there are a number of like oh my god type moments in it. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's I, I just I want more. I want them all now. Although even though we've discussed that this is very much a show that I think benefits from being being aired sort of weekly, so that you can have the water cooler moments and you can discuss the kind of unfurling investigation like i would i want them all in my face today i really do like i cannot i cannot wait um it's it's just so good it is just so good that's kind of it's it's an odd thing to review isn't it because it's like we're just saying you need to go back and you need to watch every single episode of line of duty if you've never seen it and if you're already watching it then we don't need to tell you to watch this because of course you're going to watch it because it's brilliant isn't that right terry yeah it i mean it it does and it and I, I agree with Boyd because it does open on this kind of operational set piece, which is quite traditional for Line of Duty, but it it then quietens down quite a lot. And I was waiting for the next big explosive thing to happen because that's, that's the way it's always been set up. I was really expecting a massive reveal or a massive piece of action, and it doesn't come in the first episode. But the amount of work they did setting up Kelly McDonald's character specifically, I got to the end of the episode and I somehow felt like I'd known her mm. for months and I'd been watching a show <laughs> yeah. with her in it for months. And I couldn't quite work it out because she doesn't, there's not even that much revealed, but the way he does reveal it, the way he uses the other characters 
the things he has her do and the other people say about her, it's all done so expertly that by the end of it, you feel like you know you're inside this character's skin already, even though the whole premise is, is she a wrong one or not? And But it could go either way at that point. And I just think he's so brilliant at, without tons of exposition, um, without like spoon feeding the audience, he does such the heavy lifting in terms of storytelling and characterization. He manages. I just think he's incredible, like absolutely incredible. Um, as you say, it's hard to review because we can't literally mention anything. But um, <laughs> I was, I was not disappointed by this first episode, and I was desperate, um, desperate to have the second. So this, this for me, as Boyd said, there is definitely something different in the execution. Um, but that's what I've always loved about Line of Duty mm. is that Jed and Curio just reinvents it every single time so that they're clearly of the same family, but they, it has a different flavour and a different take. Yeah, I think it's I think it's going to be amazing. And she's already, I feel like, shaping up to be one of the great, great Line of Duty antagonists. And we should probably say that the new issue of Empire goes on sale this week and there is a line of duty feature in that issue where Boydie jumped on a Zoom call with line of duty alumni past and present, didn't you, Boydie? Yeah, all the main all the main uh, people on it, including Kelly. Um, Were you sucking diesel? It. <laughs> it, we, we did suck diesel, yeah. It was an amazing thing to get to be able to do, yeah, it has to be said. And... The, I think for me, one of the most exciting things, I mean, I, I, one of the most interesting things about that experience to be honest, was the way that they're all so confident in each other's company that um, Martin Compton, for example, was talking about how Series 3 was our favourite. And you're like, and Jed's sitting there, you know, Jed McCoon's like, oh, does he mind? And it's like, he doesn't give a shit. Like, yeah, they're all like picking out their favourites. And uh, Martin said, I think at one point that he said three episodes of this run. Remember, there were seven episodes in the series for the first time, normally six. He said that there's a three-episode run, and he wouldn't say whether it's the first three, the last three, the middle, or whatever, that are the best episodes they've ever done. Mm. And they're like, and again, I'm looking at, I'm like, what's Jed, does Jed agree with that? And he's like, just, yeah, fine with it. So, yeah, it's a, it's it, it's they're all incredibly excited about it, and um, quite right, too. And what I find really funny is, and it comes across, actually, in the interview you did with him when you read the, the Q&A, like, is that Martin Compton has an incredibly thick Scottish accent. Yeah. And yet you watch the show and you would not know. He does a fucking brilliant kind of London sort of southeast accent in the show. And yeah. you were saying, like, he, he keeps up, doesn't he, all the time when yeah. you're shooting. Yeah, mainly because it's just easier for him. It's just easier yeah. to keep stay. Not not for any like you know great actorly you know method kind of viewpoint. He just he just has. It's quite hard work. I think for him. So to keep in the accent during lunch breaks and the whole time yeah. during filming is just easy for him. Was he than- was he always going to be from the southeast when they yeah. started doing so the I, show? Uh, yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, the character was specified as being uh, uh, from Greater London. So in he, the very when first he script. auditioned, he did it yeah. in the Steve Arnold voice. The, yeah, he did it on the audition. Yeah, I'm absolutely. fair play to him. Yeah, and Craig Parkinson, who's his mate, one, he used to they used to share a flat together, auditioned for that role as well, which I might mention the other week. Yes, yes, yeah. that's in the piece as well. Yeah. It's good um, stuff. There have been loads of Scots in the in the show, of course, throughout the history of the reign. Now, Clayton McDonald <laughs> yeah, exactly. is the latest, being the latest. <laughs> well, obviously, watch Line of Duty when Series 6 arrives on Sunday, March 21st, on BBC One at 9pm, and buy the new issue of Empire, which goes on sale on Thursday, and read Boydie's excellent Line of Duty feature as well. Also out this week is, of course, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which lands on Disney Plus on the 19th of March on Friday, except, except, of course, we haven't been able to see it uh, because it was not made available in advance. We will get to see it. Well, 
at the same time you do on Friday, but we will do a belated review of that in the next episode of the podcast. We'll talk about the Falcon and the Winter Soldier there. We will also be doing weekly episode by episode spoiler special breakdowns of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier to follow on from our WandaVision ones and you'll be able to get those on the Empire Spoiler special podcast uh, which you can subscribe to for the minute sum of $2.99 a month and you can sign up at empireonline.com slash spoiler specials worth it if for nothing else than to hear our rendition of the Marvel fanfare each week which has involved chickens kazoos guitars and helium actually in the most recent one uh, frankly we're running out of instruments but sure uh, what else is out this week the good fight returns doesn't it, Boydie? Season four. Yeah, it's taken a year. It's and mad, I have to isn't say, it? I mean, Channel Four, get your fucking. You could, what? It's on More Four for a start. There, it's not even on main Channel Four. You know, it's on More Four. Their, yeah. their kind of you know offshoot channel. Why it's taken a year to put it on is beyond me. But it has, and it is does arrive on Thursday, nine o'clock on More Four. And the good, and the good. Um, what's the other thing? The Good Doctor. It's the good competition. It arrives on Sky Witness on Tuesday at nine o'clock. The fourth season of that as well if you're a fan of that show. And there are lots of fans of that show. Um, There's a couple of Netflix shows as well. Sky Rojo is a new Spanish crime series from the Money Heist gang, um, which is going to be quite exciting. Exactly. (laughs) Casa de Papel, my favourite. That starts on Friday the 19th. And there's a YA kind of ice skating, ice hockey drama called Zero Chill, which I think is a great title. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, That starts on Netflix today on Monday. And that's, yeah. Um, so I think that's pretty much it. Can we just mention the one because we didn't get to? Oh pop, yeah, we didn't get to review yes, it last the week. The one, dreadful. <laughs> <laughs> Can we just take the time to point out how shit it was? Yeah. Oh yes. my god. The one, like... of course, is Netflix's answer to Soulmates, which we did review, and it's based on the same concept whereby you can genetically determine your soulmate. It's just like I couldn't get my head around it because it was, it looked so cheap, like. In terms of production values, it looked like an old school British show. You know, kind of the way people used to use British telly as a pejorative, it looked like that. And the performances, I was just dying. Like, I, I did, I have to say though, I did watch three episodes on the truck going, This is terrible. Let's watch another one. This is still terrible. Let's watch another one. There's something weirdly yeah. compelling about it. Like, yeah, there like is. a pizza, like a bad pizza that you know is going to like, make you put on half a stone but you just can't this is quite the analogy yeah (laughs) yeah reminded me of that do you remember what if which was the yeah batty what if batty cheesy that was quite basic visually as well i seem to remember like for a big netflix show i mean not quite this one is quite basic um visually has to be said but it's got it's it's stilted it's quite quite stilted as you say the performances are all over the place all over the place some of the dialogue uh, and yet Actually, you kind of carry on watching it, and it's weirdly like the the compared to Soulmates, which takes the idea of the of 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 finding your soulmate via technology and runs with it and explores it in every single different way. This is almost like half the time it's barely even interested in that. It's basically like a corporate conspiracy thriller that could be about any corporation, really. Half of it, um, and then I think it's you know then then there's all these other supporting characters that are using the technology and it's ruining their lives as it does in Soulmates most of the time. So it is it is a weird one, yeah. But I I same as you, I was what like four episodes in and I was like saying how shit it was. <laughs> well, that's definitely not the pick of the week. I think we can all agree what is though. Line of Duty, yeah. 
Line of Duty. Yes. I'm not even going to attempt to comedically say it's calls because it really isn't. It <laughs> is Line of Duty Series 6. Watch it. Watch all the others. Watch them, watch them, watch them, watch them, watch them. And that is all we've got for this week's show. Uh, now, as ever, we'd love you to shower us with five-star ratings on whatever podcast platform you prefer. And if you wanted to write your MP and get them to spread the word about the show, then we wholeheartedly encourage that as well. Uh, we are all up in the interwebs on socials at James C. Dyer, at Boyd Hilton, and at Terry underscore White. Do be sure to join us next week for our slightly belated view of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier on Disney+, Plus, as well as YA Sherlock Holmes series The Irregulars, which is winging its way towards Netflix. Uh, I would say there's also an outside chance that Terry might force us to give some mighty fucks about the Mighty Ducks uh, as that throwback <laughs> retro show Game Changers also lands on Disney. Uh, so find out next week. Until then, though, pilot out.